0: You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty.
1: To stimulate
2: your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to intellectual, intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. to stimulate
0: to to Welcome back to Intellectual Erection. I'm your host, Patrick.
3: Um, I think you meant to say co-host because um, I'm here now too. Hello everyone, my name is Yaz, pronouns they, them. And
0: my pronouns are he, him.
3: And Patrick and I have been dating for the last two years, and we've decided that it's finally time for me to get my uh, my butt into this podcast.
0: Well, you've been on before. There's the episode where we talked about us dating and all the kinky, weird that we do
3: isn't that one of your top three episodes
0: it is definitely one of my top episodes so go back and listen to that but this is a fresh start this is a we're going to call it a new season we're calling
3: this yeah the new season of intellectual erection and what's going to make this season really interesting is that we're actually going to be moving through a different structure
0: yeah it's a totally new episode structure So I hope you enjoy what we are putting together here. There's going to be a lot more effort put into these episodes, a lot more work.
3: And a little bit of ranting and arguing.
0: Sure. (laughs) By the way, you may have noticed that Insta Police took down intellectual dot erection. Very timely, by the way, at this pause in the podcast itself. So we started a new one, just intellectual erection, no dot. Please follow us there. We had about 4,000 followers that we now can't get back. Also, if you want to hear the raw and uncut versions of these interviews that we've had with Eva and Kat Kova and all the people that we interviewed for the panel that's at the end of this episode, please visit patreon.com slash intellectual erection. Become a member, support the podcast, and you will have access to all of these interviews and more.
3: And as always, listen, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy.
0: Intellectual erection has been around for like three years, and I've done mostly one-on-one interviews. We have a new format for our episodes.
3: So the new episode structure is going to involve a little bit of research, some background information, a little bit of context, as well as multiple interviews, sometimes being panel-style interviews, as well as narrative overlays and some tidbits about our own experiences.
0: Yes. So to kick it off, we're going to start off with the research that we we found on sex during COVID. What, why did we want to make this episode? What did we want to find out?
3: Well, we wanted to find out how people's sex lives and relationship with sex has changed during the pandemic. Has sex gone up? Are people masturbating more? Have people all of a sudden unleashed all of their kinky desires? What's going on? And that's what we set out to figure out about. To figure out about. <laughs> to find out about.
0: So what do you think the research is going to indicate?
3: Well, when we were first thinking about this, I thought that the research was going to indicate that people were having more sex because what else were people doing with their time?
0: We just thought people were doing what we're doing.
3: Which is just having a lot more sex. But it turns out that for a lot of people, that isn't actually what is happening. And there are a couple of reasons as to why.
0: Right. There is this paper that came out. It's from the early months of covid so we don't really know if this is kept up throughout the period, but it's by a famous sex researcher, Justin Lay Miller and company. The findings indicate is about half of the people surveyed basically said that their sex life has slowed down. But about one in five people, especially those who were younger and living alone, became more creative. And their sex life improved because they tried new things like sexting, fantasies, New positions, maybe a little kink.
3: That's us. We're part of that one in five. Yeah,
0: we're one in five.
3: Another article found that the slowing down of sex during COVID is not only due to a lack of access to sexual partners, but also a lowering of sex drive due to the increased mental health stressors during the pandemic. People are having a harder time finding intimacy and connecting with their partners and their mental health symptoms have become exasperated. There's also a fear element. There is a sense of guilt around having sex during a pandemic, which will increase phobia around spreading the disease.
0: Funny enough, what I actually found the most interesting in this article is there was a little bit of history in it that looked at some studies that were done in the 13th century after the bubonic plague. And what the studies showed was a huge increase in taboos with people uh, engaging in more incest, prostitution, and sexual coercion. What ended up happening is after the plague, they started opening up sex parlors so that they could destigmatize sex and promote safer sex because of all this shit that was happening during the plague.
3: Are we hoping that we end up following history in that way and a yes, whole bunch of please. stuff ends up opening up after sex this? Sex
0: parlors,
3: ASAP. Yeah, it sounds really great.
0: So funny enough, these two articles talked about what I was actually searching for, but then the majority of the articles that I did find, a lot of them were studies on sex workers during COVID, which I found surprising and also encouraging. A lot of them looked at street prostitution and the most marginalized sex workers, so sex workers of color that are working on the streets. And to nobody's surprise... It has highlighted the failures of capitalism in providing resources and taking care of the most vulnerable members of society, and I'm glad that these articles actually advocated for sex workers because they don't have access to PPE.
3: Just as a side note for anyone who may not know, PPE stands for personal protective equipment, like masks.
0: They don't have access to any health services, HIV prevention, and they are suffering a loss of wages and a loss of clientele, plus they don't get to rely on their regular client base. So their regulars have been kind of sparse and now they have to take on new clients, which is also risky because these new clients, you don't know them yet. You haven't built rapport and these clients could also have a risk of COVID.
3: Unfortunately, sex workers are really used to having to show up for themselves, building community and support for themselves because the government honestly just treats them as disposable. So this other article, found that sex workers have been heavily excluded from public health access and services during the pandemic, and once more had to rely on solidarity, collective action, and community support to find solutions. With COVID, many sex worker organizations have mobilized to offer financial relief and access to resources for sex workers and pressured governments to amend prostitution policies, provide sex workers rights, and grant access to services for sex workers and other marginalized people. Sex workers want decriminalization as an empowerment model, not as a rescue model that continues to victimize them.
0: And there was a there were two specific articles that we found that related to decriminalization in Canada. There was a letter sent to the Canadian Journal of Public Health expressing concern about the increased vulnerability of migrant sex workers who are actually being left behind during the pandemic. They're already at risk with legal protection status, immigration status, language barriers, xenophobia, racism, and COVID just introduces a heightened risk and a lack of protection for these people. So paired with that was another letter to the Canadian federal government to amend Bill C-36, which was passed in 2014 that criminalized sex work. And now the pandemic has highlighted more than ever that decriminalization makes sense to protect sex workers, which are a high-risk population. They have a lack of resources, employment insurance, and protection. And failure to address this actually invites a public health crisis. So I like that they leaned into the public health crisis to make a case for protecting sex workers, especially street-based sex workers, migrant sex workers, sex workers of color. And this is actually global. We found articles from all over the world advocating for sex workers.
3: Yeah, we found this one article that found that sex workers in Africa make up a marginalized community outside government protection. COVID is disproportionately affecting this population and disrupting the hard-won battles against the spread of HIV. This paper calls for protection of this population.
0: Another article looked specifically at uh, Nairobi in Kenya, and this study showed that COVID has prevented many sex workers from accessing healthcare and HIV prevention services, exposing them to higher risks of both COVID and HIV, along with another paper from Uganda, which also calls for increased safety resources and access to testing and protection for sex workers because in this paper, it was showing that the spread of COVID can actually be traced to borders in Africa, where a lot of sex workers work. And some of the truckers that cross these borders and their interactions with sex workers has spread the virus. So in this sense, again, it's leaning into the public health crisis angle, not so much the compassionate angle, having to care about marginalized people. It's showing that when you don't take care of marginalized people in your communities, it actually affects the whole.
3: Sex workers in India have also been heavily affected. An article called Community Action for People with HIV and Sex Workers During the COVID-19 Pandemic in India found that sex workers have been disproportionately affected and hit with a loss of wages, clients, access to health care, access to HIV prevention, and treatment.
0: And this same issue is mirrored in a lot of articles that have been studying men who have sex with men especially during covid have also not had access to their hiv treatments and scanning which has also become or is becoming a public health crisis so again i just we just keep seeing this this lean into the public health crisis angle to to try to protect marginalized communities i don't know how i feel about that i like the idea that you that we have this this ability to at least lean into some sort of like legal or like global uh, moral angle to try to help marginalized folks because yeah as you mentioned earlier people won't care
3: in framing it as a public health crisis people who are not immediately affected by the problems themselves or are not maybe close to somebody who is being personally affected understand that they are affected by proxy and that these problems affect the community at large
4: yeah
0: And on the flip side, an article that looked at a small sample of Israeli men who pay women for sex during COVID showed a strong need to change prostitution policy with social services in mind. And this is not just aimed at sex workers' rights, which is highlighted in this article, but also at therapeutic intervention to prevent those men from objectifying and harming sex workers by improving their well-being. So this tries to shift away from a sort of blaming and shaming mentality to social support, you know, a social support model that's beneficial for everyone involved in sex work and the relations between people in sex work.
3: Yeah, this was also reflected in the study on migrant sex workers. It found that sex workers having to move their businesses online left them susceptible to a lot more online harassment and all the struggles and mental health issues that come alongside having to maintain an online business where you are your own marketer, you are the talent, you are the director, you are having to maintain yeah. your privacy and do all of those things. And it's a lot of stuff for one person. So then all these articles
0: on sex workers seems to sum up what?
3: Well, they're asking us to provide COVID prevention measures to sex workers from PPE to free and accessible testing, as well as potentially some access to some vaccines.
0: Yeah. And what I like is that the stress on sex workers' rights in a lot of these articles are using this as an opportune time to say, hey, it's about time to decriminalize sex work because you're not providing insurance benefits to sex workers. So it's time to decriminalize.
3: Fuck well, yeah, it's time to decriminalize. mm <laughs> Before we get into how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting people's sex lives and their relationships on a personal scale, it was important that we first highlighted some of the research being done on the people that are being most disproportionately affected by this pandemic being our BIPOC sex workers.
0: Yeah, and I was actually surprised by the amount of research being done on sex workers during COVID. So it was a nice surprise and it was a really good reminder that We're not just here to talk about the fun and the pleasure and the the good things, but also to acknowledge
3: the shit that's going on, man.
0: (laughs) Yep. So we wanted to get a broader perspective of sex during COVID and we wanted to reach out to sex researchers and sex therapists and like our slutty friends to find out what's been going on.
3: We spoke to our friend Eva Bloom who recently held a workshop on sex during COVID to hopefully inspire and give people some ideas on how to spice up their sex lives during a time where they may not be feeling particularly sexy.
5: So I am Eva Bloom, you, see, they, pronouns. Uh, I am a queer sexuality educator. I share a lot from, I'm inspired by my own experiences and journey as well as sex research. I am a sex science communicator. So one of my big goals in life is to make sure that academic research on sex does not die in journals where they're behind paywalls and nobody can read them.
0: So Eva actually talked to us about the first article that we mentioned at the beginning of our little literature review, which was just about, you know, people generally losing their sex drive during COVID and the one in five that spice things up, but they had something really interesting to say in regards to a hypothesis about why our sex drive might be lowering During COVID.
5: There's this really cool theory called self expansion theory, which shows that like just doing new things, like having novel experiences, even not necessarily with your partner and not necessarily like novel sexual experiences, but just that like new shit, that actually like increases sexual desire and like sexual satisfaction in the relationship. So not being able to like have that, people are like, oh, there's maybe that's maybe having an impact on the lower partnered sex or slow sex that's happening.
3: At this point, Pat is reminded of this study about a bridge and participants that are being asked to walk across this bridge that Eva also knew about. So in this study, they asked people to walk across a really high bridge as well as a low bridge. And then they compare to see who at the end of walking across the bridge is more attracted to the person conducting the research. And what they found is that fear is connected to our attraction. So those people that were walking the hybrid were more likely to find the researcher attractive.
0: Yeah, this is exactly the whole theory behind taking your date to a horror movie, right? You scare them into liking you. (laughs)
3: <laughs> That's a terrible way to look at it. But no, you scare them so that you're both feeling like vulnerable yeah. and like sensitive and then you can comfort each other.
5: Yeah, well, you're right. There's like so yeah, so there you have like this physiological arousal, right? Like when you're watching a horror movie and then your body can attribute it to different things. Like your body can either assign it like, "Oh, this like my heart rate's going, like I'm feeling butterflies. That's because of the movie or that's because of the bridge I'm watching. Oh, but if you're with a hot person or yeah. if they, yeah, in the experiment, they have an attractive like research oh, assistant yeah, being like, yeah. do you want to fill out this study? Your body might be like, oh, these f- bodily feelings must mean that I'm attracted to that person.
3: So Eva's a huge fan of TikTok and of course has managed to find a corner of that application where people are talking a lot about gender and queer theory and from here we end up talking about compulsive heterosexuality <laughs> you mean compulsory what i say compulsive <laughs> Compulsive. <heterosexual. laughs> when it just like happens to you, <laughs> just, and you like, just like I'm don't know what to do I you're like i have to be straight <laughs> like i just don't know what's going
2: on
5: compulsory heterosexuality for people don't know this idea that like societies like you are heterosexual that's what we're just assuming mm-hmm. and we are putting all these things in place to like affirm and like basically make you be heterosexual in some way so if you're like having these feelings of like stress and tension about men especially if you're like a woman and like men can be a source of violence it can be kind of spooky but if you're in turn interpreting that as oh I should be attracted to them So these like butterfly, like heart pounding feelings must be attraction. When they're actually not, it's just combat. Her heart is pounding, like she's getting sweaty, like she's blushing, that must mean she's into me. When it's like, no, she's actually like a little bit- Afraid
3: for her fucking life.
5: (laughs) Yeah, she might be spooked, bud. (laughs) Back the fuck off.
3: The conversation then segued to Eva's work. She recently held a workshop on sex during COVID where she gave participants some ideas for tips and tricks and techniques that they might use to boost their sex lives.
5: So I really like this uh, this model called the dual control model. Um, for folks who've read Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, she talks about it a lot. But it's basically the idea that like in your brain, you have an inhibitory and an excitatory uh two different systems. And you can kind of think of them as like a gas pedal and a brake for your sex drive. And like, at all times, your body's collecting data from your environment to either tell you to be turned on or to be turned off, press the gas pedal or the brake. So yeah, so if you are living in a pandemic, and you are seeing the same things all the time, and like you live where you work, you your brain might be putting that foot on the brake to be like, because you can't you don't want to get sexy at work, work is not a sexy place. um. Or like, yeah, just like that constant stress is like a half foot on the break at all time. So basically like my strategy is thinking like, what are some ways that, that you can slowly release your foot? Like, it might not seem sexy to be like, go to it. Yaz yeah, is into my class. Like, okay. go. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty, yeah, like, like really like tap into your senses, like see if you can create like, try and do some less doom scrolling or like really dedicate some time to like de-stressing deliberately. It doesn't sound like the most sexy thing, but like when you're able to put your, take your foot off the brake um, and then infuse some sexy things like bring back, like watch your favorite like porn or like a sexy scene from a movie um, or like buy some new lingerie or like go back to talk to your partner about a really awesome sex you had many moons ago. Um, Just like, these little things to shift the balance and really like I think people get very like goal focused being like well I want to have want to get back to having sex three times a week and I'm like if you are so focused on like like hammering like I want to get to that goal like that's less helpful than like doing these things to deliberately de-stress and then reintroduce.
3: Yeah totally I mean I really love that you brought up the fact that these maybe don't feel like super big, sexy things to be doing, but that this is kind of the first step of doing it. I mean, one of the things that I end up talking a lot about in Intimate is that the first step of sexy is safety. And that if we're feeling super stressed out and really unsafe in our environments or just, you know, freaking the fuck out about the world catching on fire every step of the way, mm-hmm. what the things that we need to do to bring ourselves into those potentially sexy spaces might not be sexy activities in and of itself
5: mm-hmm. but that
3: that's how we how we get ourselves there so I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned that
5: theories about approach and avoidance like if you're doing something sexy just to like avoid a potentially negative outcome like oh like I'm gonna have sex with my partner because I feel like if I don't they're gonna be mad at me or they're gonna like feel disappointed uh versus like I'm gonna have sex with my partner because I really want to feel connected or because like I feel safe and like good in my body like research has shown that like those approach motives like when you do that to seek positive things like that is way better for your sexual satisfaction and all that stuff so
0: at this point in the conversation yaz and i were actually reminded of a conversation that we had the night prior where we got into this philosophical debate trying to define sex oddly enough it's not an easy task so we thought we'd ask eva if they could define sex?
5: I love it. I love it. I think this is super important. I love that question. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, it feels like a cop-out to be like, if it feels like sex, it is sex. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that kind of is what it comes down to. Like, I know, like I've had different like sexting interactions and some of them I was like, that felt like I had sex. And then other sexting times, I'm like, meh, that like didn't really feel like sex. So it's like really up to the person to decide. Like I would say that like, yeah, sex would be like if you are, yeah, if you're feeling sexy feelings, like maybe some amount of like intimacy is happening either with yourself or other people. It can involve, yeah, I'm trying to think, like it doesn't even have to involve genitals. If you like have a great dry humping session uh, with someone, That's totally sex, or even like a makeout session that can totally be sex.
3: You and I are very much on the same page. (laughs) Patrick has a very different,
0: really interesting process. So, to give a little context, basically what I was doing is trying to engage in in a sort of philosophical thought experiment, and this is rooted in epistemology, the you know, how we come to know things. I was trying to define sex by finding necessary and sufficient conditions for what constitutes sex. This to me is intellectually stimulating, but the caveat is that sometimes engaging in this type of thinking leads to categorical definitions of things which are not helpful always, especially for things like gender. So just keep that in mind as you're listening. I was trying to argue last night or make a compelling argument that sex needs to be an activity between more than one person and here's the thought process behind that. Um, Look at
3: Eva's face. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Because I, I, don't, I don't disagree with this, with this position that you're taking, which is sex is what is defined by the person. The only problem with that is that we, it, epistemologically speaking, we fall into subjectivism and skepticism. Mm. And at that point, I have no good reason to believe that what you're telling me is the truth, right? Like it's your experience. It becomes so alienating. So, for us to find common ground, you must have a convincing argument that other people are willing to adopt as being sex. Again, epistemology is not the be-all and end-all of defining things, but <laughs> it's an interesting process. So, my idea. I love was- it.
5: You're taking me back to first-year philosophy. <laughs> and I'm like, this is deep in my brain somewhere. <laughs> in
0: there somewhere. Yeah. You. So I was <laughs> looking at I was looking at sex as sexual intercourse right? So sexual intercourse, the word intercourse, inter means between, right? So suddenly you have a relationship, sex becomes a relationship between at least two things at that point. And my second condition was that those things need to be sentient. So as in humans, animals, or what were once humans, or what will once be what will become humans, so on a temporal scale, because I was trying to tell Yaz yesterday uh Robot,
5: sex with robots isn't sex
0: that's getting into ai and sentience there can be defined as well my problem was last night i i, I thought about it. i'm like is having sex with a dead body sex sorry i jumped into that yeah you really just but that's um,
5: warning uh necrophilia. <laughs>
0: yeah, necrophilia yeah but i'm i'm i've called that the dead body problem because i'm like what distinguishes that from you having sex with a dildo that's attached to something that looks like a human body that you mm-hmm. fantasize is a body and the difference is and there, there is some philosophical grounding to this is that humans the reason that we would find having sex with a dead body problematic or like defiling is because we associate that that body once had sentience is the same way that like a child an infant we know that it will have sentience. It has some sentience, but it will have more and more consciousness as it grows. So we attribute the same moral regard to a dead person as we do to a child, uh, because we know its humanity on a temporal scale has all those possibilities, whereas inanimate objects never have that possibility. So those are my conditions so far for sexual intercourse: is that it's a relationship between at least two things that require sentience. I've that's as far as I've gone, and I don't know if it's. If it's uh
3: I don't know if you need to go a any further. Good enough <laughs> definition. <laughs> but, that, it.
0: but that then you get into the, the tough territories of like sexting because that meets both of those conditions, but there is that interaction is not physical.
3: Let Eva take it away now. Tell us about how sexting <laughs> is sex, please. Go yeah. ahead.
5: <laughs> I mean I'm trying to see whether I can philosophically debate you. I do not think I have the skills <laughs> necessary to do that. Uh, oh, but t- I I, yeah, I disagree with your first premise that it has to be between two people. I think Mm. that the sexual intimacy that you have with yourself is legitimately sex. For me, like, if I was creating a definition, Mm. like, I would say, yeah, that sexual, like, yeah, that it would be, like, some amount of sexual feelings and, and or, like, intimate feelings, and there's a consent element here, and if you consent to get sexy with yourself, yeah, cause I mean, yeah, part of it is too like, why wouldn't sex with yourself be sex? Well,
0: there's a few reasons that come up immediately. One is when you're talking about consent with yourself, that that brings in the possibility of not consenting to having sex with yourself, which then brings in the possibility of self-violation, which is something that would not hold up in court. Court is not necessarily the best measure of like. <laughs> I was gonna say how we, I don't how we know. need to define things, but. It's that structured f- style of thinking that I like to, let's say, approach things first from and then break away from as well. Because, yeah, then sex with yourself, it just having too loose a definition seems to be not useful.
3: Well, why, why not? Why, why have, is it problematic? Why
0: it's not problematic. Why couldn't we have two def- two things? We have sex. And then we have being sexual with yourself. There's also being sexual without having sex. No,
3: because then it feels hierarchical. It still feels not, like one it need carries to be more.
0: Just because things exist simultaneously doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It's like non-hierarchical sex. You don't put P and V sex at the top of this hierarchy. You just have all the different kinds of sex.
5: Well, like, so what, what do you get out of sex? You get, or like people can get all different things
0: mm-hmm. out
5: of sex.
0: I'm not saying that I'm, I'm right. I'm exper- I'm experimenting with yeah. ideas right now because I'm not. It's this is to me as messy as the theory of art. Philosophically, the theory of art comes down to this: after so much debating, what is art?
5: That's it's true. So, what is in, art?
0: so fucking impossible to tell that the best mm-hmm. theory out there is like art is what the art, art experts say it is, which ha. basically means anything can be art.
5: There we go. Anything can be. It's nice. not a helpful definition. I'm gonna say- a expert, and i yeah. think that yeah. masturbation is sex well, well like, there you go. like
3: there you <laughs> now we now
5: we know i'm <laughs> told yeah, yeah i
3: my body just thinks that you're wrong. Like Mm -hmm. my whole body is just Mm -hmm. saying that like, of course this experience with myself is sex because it is sexual and -hmm. because I get pleasure out of the experience and it's something that I choose to consciously engage in. And so whether or not that's the same as giving consent to myself, it's still me making a very deliberate choice to engage with myself.
5: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think you're starting from sexual intercourse Um, maybe start from sexual intimacy because like sexual (laughs) intercourse I do not fuck with I do not care about that term that doesn't feel helpful to me i think when people think of sexual intercourse they immediately go to penetration of course you know? and when i'm yeah. talking about sex that's not what i'm talking about so like in a lot of my videos like baby eva's youtube video from like 2018 2017 i'll say sexy times or like sexual mm-hmm. intimacy because mm-hmm. i'm talking about like very broad broad yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. But I and then, see the way that you were just, you were using the term intercourse was to describe the relationship between two people but like nobody's thinking true. that when they hear the word intercourse well, that, yeah that's mm-hmm. because people
0: have so i guess in one way i'm trying to expand the the term intercourse to what it ought to mean because intercourse the word itself just means communication mm. right intercourse mm-hmm. means dialogue mm-hmm. which involves more than one person it's hard i to think have,
5: you can have a dialogue with yourself journaling. I, well
0: yeah but then, You're it, in
5: with yourself. but then it's
0: not dialogue right it's more of a monologue so i i don't think it's problematic for us to have separate definitions for these sorts of things whether you're doing it with yourself or other people. But I do think that it would be helpful for sexual intercourse to broaden as a category so it doesn't just involve penetration and it can involve all sorts of sexual acts.
5: And I and I would also say scrap sexual inter- intercourse from your starting point and s- start with sexual intimacy and mm-hmm. do your philosophizing from there. Because, yeah. yeah, I would say that like you can from masturbation or solo sex you can get connection with yourself you can get pleasure you can get orgasms you can get intimacy you can get yeah like embodiment fantasy kink all those things which feel very much like sex
3: totally yeah Yeah. pat and i really enjoyed the conversation that we had with eva at the end she left us with a little bit of hope as to what we might expect or anticipate when restrictions are lifted and people can start to gather again
5: people are talking about like is it going to be the roaring 20s are there going to be like way more sex parties are people going to be like flooding oasis are people going to really are people going to want all these more sexually like risky things that they haven't been able to do in covid i think that's 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 a fun thing to think about and also yeah the like group sex, orgy sex parties, and then also like the gender and sexuality awakening. Are there going to be way more people at the queer clubs? Like, are people going to be like exploring their like queer desires and like sexuality as their authentic self more? Maybe. That would be awesome. Yeah, those are my thoughts.
0: We continued our inquiries into sex and COVID with our sex and relationship therapist friend, Kat Kova.
3: We wanted to talk to Kat to see if she might share with us some of the issues that clients were coming to see her about. We wanted to know how she was talking to her clients who might have been experiencing differing sex drives and different fantasies throughout COVID.
6: My name is Kat Kova. I'm a sex and relationship therapist and a general psychotherapist as well, who works in Toronto, but I do kind of come from a background of thinking about relationships as part, as an integral part of mental health and thinking really systemically and structurally around kind of how lived experiences are impacted by kind of our our wider environments.
0: Kat tells us a little bit about how her clients' needs have shifted or changed during the pandemic
6: there is such a clear divide between like pre-pandemic client situations and post-pandemic and and the thing is it's not even that the the nature of the concerns have fully transformed or shifted it's just that they have magnified so if you were experiencing relationship issues that maybe kind of stemmed from uh, desire discrepancies. You and your, your partner like had really different desires and uh, you know, you wanted to have sex like five times a week and the other person wanted to have sex like once a month. That may have not been as obvious or evident as when the two of you are at home together all the time, which many people, you know, that was their sort of reality afterwards. And then all of a sudden this became just more like glaringly obvious. Or a person with higher desire might say something like, well, we're home all the time anyway, like no one's really paying attention to what we're doing at work. Like, why isn't this a good time for us to connect in this way? And, and so you can see kind of how, even with other situations, like money, like, uh, you know, spending habits or whatever that, that things people uh, are the things that people fight about can actually just be, now it's a little bit more transparent because we don't have the same boundaries anymore. Right. Yeah. And then on top of that is just an, a, like, a, a absolutely enormous amount of stress that people are under worrying about their finances, worrying about housing and having really couple like couples that are very sort of early on in their, like the formation of their relationship of that, that relationship moving in together. Whereas, you know, that sort of courting kind of piece of their relationship is now cut short, is now three months in.
0: You know, what's interesting with this is that for some couples who kind of started their relationship right at the start of COVID or or just before it and maybe wanted to move in and spend that time together, it's going to be weird when things open up again and they're going to see all those new sides of themselves Like, you don't know what your partner's like when they're out drinking at a bar. You don't know what your partner's out like when they're socializing with other people. And that could be game-changing.
3: Yeah, very true. You're
6: getting a totally different version of that person who could be so far away from what they're like when they have other situations available to them.
3: Kat describes the assessment process that she uses to determine her clients' needs around sex and relationships, especially now during COVID.
6: It's hard. There's so many different reasons why desire might be low or different for different people. And so I think before we even kind of do an exploration, we have to normalize that. So the next step after we've kind of said like, hey, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up around this, there are probably many reasons for it. Then we go into exploring what that could be, right? And it can be trauma. You know, when you're locked up in your apartment and feeling trapped, if you've been in a situation before where you felt helpless because of some traumatic or abusive situation that you've been in, like that might be stirring up some shit within you. And, you know, that's a really important thing to look at as as well as the many other things that it that it could be. Right. And then we go from there. Okay, like now that we've identified all of these factors, then we can kind of start to piece together what might need to happen. Right. And and whether that's like a, a shift in your perspective, a shift in your thinking, um trying to resource yourself differently, you know, whether it's like learning about ways to take care of yourself or different ways to get care for yourself, um, then, then we can kind of start to look at what, what actually, what's the work ahead of us.
0: Of course, Kat being the therapist had to flip the script on us and begin asking questions about our sex life.
3: We'd mentioned to her at one point that our sex life had actually improved, that we'd found that we were having more sex than usual and had put aside space to try things that we hadn't before.
0: And this, of course, relates to that one article that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the same article that we talked to Eva about as well, the Justin Lay Miller study that looked at how people's sex lives have changed during COVID. And for the majority of people, it's diminished. But the one in five that got creative and tried new things found that their sex lives improved.
3: Pat and I, I think we're part of that one in five. We're definitely one in five.
6: Please share like, what we all need to know about what goes into that.
3: I've got really, really strong anxiety. And throughout all of this, like, my financial situation has been precarious, my career has been really unclear, like, one of my family members is sick, like nothing in my situation felt like it made a lot of space for me to be like, oh, I have so much time and like, mental resources to dedicate to just like having sex all the time. But all of a sudden, I think throughout this, one of the things that I learned the most about myself was, my sexuality and my ability to explore my kinks and make space for my fantasy is like 100% integral to to my well-being and like the expression of myself. And so I think we started maybe planning a little bit more and like setting aside maybe more intentional time to play with certain concepts, to try on different roles, to use different you know, to try to, why are you smiling at me like that? <laughs> but yeah, so so that, that part of it felt really nice, but um, I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah, sometimes we're like having sex and I'm like, oh, the world is ending. It's definitely a boner kill. Like it that happens to me too. Yeah. But I have found that, I don't know, my ability to remain present throughout sexual encounters has has gotten a lot better.
6: It's interesting in that study how it's the people that tried new things who ended up reaping most of the benefits of the increase in sexual satisfaction which we know is like also re- related to relationship satisfaction as well also I'm, I'm just wondering how much of this sort of plays into like because you you mentioned for you yes that like sometimes sex can like take work right like some of that mental shifting and, and how even scheduling and like planning things ahead of time help the two of you I tend to think about how sex and how pleasure can be a resistance against what's happening around us, a resistance against anxiety, like resistance. So pleasure as resistance is this thing that I've been, this concept that I've been really thinking about lately. And I really heard it in your description of, of how you've kind of like, managed all of that stuff that's going on for you while still sort of like prioritizing this and accessing it as a resource.
3: Sometimes when I choose to give myself the space to bring myself pleasure, it literally feels like a fuck you to capitalism. It feels like a fuck you to the patriarchy. It feels like a fuck you to a lot of things. And again, it's only been in the last few months that I've realized how big of a deal it actually is for me to say, I deserve to feel good. I deserve to make time to feel good. Like I'm allowed to ask for the things that I want. Like it's kind of blown my mind a little bit. I I think before this, I thought that the only appropriate way to engage in, any kind of sexual um, activity with anyone was because I was feeling sexy. And because the feeling of sexiness needed to be like, it was the only valid reason to kind of explore my body with myself or with another human. And I know a lot of people have different feelings about this. But I am stepping into the understanding that I think that sex as a form of soothing, sex as a form of connection as exploration, like it can take on so many different meanings and all of those things are valuable. So yeah, there are times where I'm like, I'm feeling really stressed and I'm going to use this as a way to say, okay, so I'm stressed about making money within the system that essentially hates me and is setting me up to fail in a lot of ways. So me taking the time to just bask in an orgasm is literally an act of resistance. Seriously, I think feeling sexy is overrated. I just want to feel safe. Mm.
6: Oof that's big the piece around like the, the pandemic and kind of like negotiating health and safety behaviors just more more generally around the virus i i almost think kind of gave us an opportunity to have better conversations around like you know consent how close do you come to me right with people that we've never had those conversations before mm-hmm. and so like we we j- and and that's an un- i think that's an uncomfortable conversation to have but it's something that I think hopefully we're getting better at and that's going to contribute to people feeling safe as you said right Yes, like safe and that being kind of a key to unlock like freakiness and like lovemaking and like everything right just kind of feeling open feeling open to the other person
0: Kat leaves us off with some ways of rethinking how we approach having sex by being more intentional before and even during the act of play, which has the effect of renegotiating all the norms that we've absorbed, all the ways that we think we should be having sex, all the templative ways that we've fallen into the patterns of sexual behavior. And perhaps through that renegotiation, we find the ways that we really enjoy experiencing pleasure.
6: I think one of the questions that I really want people to to think about and I think is a really important part of like doing relationship therapy and individual therapy is what are your what are your intentions when it comes to engaging sexually like what what other in other words like what are you seeking to have the experience mean or to deliver to you or be a part of what role you know, does, does, do you want it to be a part of within your life? And I think that can help people because they, they, they might not even really think about it. They just think, well, well, this is what people do, or like, this is how often they do it. Um, Or, or this is okay, but this isn't okay. So just kind of asking into like, where did you, where did you get these ideas from in the first place? Have they kind of gone in unfiltered, unchallenged? And then when you begin to kind of have that awareness around where it came from, and feeling that sense of like something's not right within, right? If you're feeling shame, like it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's just like there's something wrong with the way that this is being thought about and and internalized and and tra- trying to be integrated, but something is stopping it. So what is that, right? And not having your shame serve as Uh, you know, some kind of commentary on the truth of your experience. Like, yes, you can feel really terribly about yourself and shame is such a universal human emotion. So that doesn't mean mean that you're a bad person, it means that you're a person.
3: For this next segment, we got together a group of sex-positive humans to have a conversation over Zoom where we all shared our differing perspectives and experiences on what it's been like navigating our sex lives during the pandemic. This group consists of kinksters, people who are polyamorous that have been in a relationship during the pandemic, as well as people who
4: have been single the entire time.
3: Every Thursday night, there's a
7: plan. Okay, we're gonna fist
4: a butt. My partner starts fisting the other partner's butt, and then I wanna get fisted, so then they're fisting me. We're just all getting fisted.
0: We are sitting here today with Jade Sin and Justine and Ginger Snap and Erica and Ginger and Louis and Ally and Peter and Rose and Blue and Joe and Alex. We started off our discussion with a very simple question. What has your sex life been like during COVID?
8: And here's what we got.
6: It's like a lot of monogamy with even
7: more communication than there was in normal poly
8: yeah and 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 just sort of thinking about you know covid as a potentially as a as an sti you know and 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 trying to really think about how now it's not just having sex where you know that could be an issue it's literally breathing the same air as somebody
4: so I have certain people in my life that I have a real intimate sexual connection to. And so I've been able to still explore my sexuality during this time, um, just not as with as much variety as I would have normally liked to as a polyamorous person.
2: This year has been really exciting. It's been explorative on my own part, not just with my uh, live-in partner, but with my girlfriend as well there's been a lot of things that we have explored that I don't think we would have otherwise such as different types of toys and different types of play and situational things our trust and connection has grown exponentially over the last year
1: i moved in with my significant other 24 hours before covid happened up until that, that point i'd been involved with primarily in polyamorous relationships with only women and only women of color. And so just to add a little extra something to the mix, I decided to move in with a white straight male. We had a lot of sex. I mean, that that was our pastime. It was our hobby. It's great. I started to feel
7: like really unbodied. Like I felt like because my body wasn't being like seen and admired and like I, I felt I start to feel I mean, we think we all start to feel like a potato. It's like sexual orientation potato. I just like I we just felt like we it was really hard to like feel sexy when you're you're seeing each other every single day and raising your children together in this really isolated environment. My solution to that recently has been like a lot more planned sex. And what I do now is like Thursday night is like sex night which sounds boring but I'm like okay every Thursday night there's a plan. Okay we're gonna fist a butt or we're going to use this toy or we're going to do massages. Like I try to make it focused so that it like it makes
3: me have be in my body. The answers that we got seem to resonate with the research that we shared with you at the beginning of the episode. The next question that we asked was what fantasy are you most excited to try when lockdown is lifted? And boy, do we get some saucy answers.
1: I think my biggest fantasy is a leather party. I just want to hear other bodies in leather besides my own. <laughs> Being in the room with other bodies and just having like textures and sounds. It's I am so much a sens- like a sensual person on all aspects like in every plane, like spiritual, mental, physical, like I want to feel all of the different energies and um, just, I,
2: I miss commingling with people in that sense. Um, I really get off on the sounds of a play party. And I can sit in a room and just take in the cracks of a whip and the screams of a bottom and just feel so unbelievably erotic. I fantasize about that so hardcore on a regular basis so
7: all i want to do is lick something off of somebody else's body and have
1: a whole bunch of people lift lick things off of my body
8: Before, again as everybody things kind of just halted because of covid But i was actually starting to get into rope we had somebody teaching me shibari and again i again i had all these wonderful ideas and possibilities was to learn how to use rope and what i could do and the scenarios that i could create Um, and now that's kind of on hold
7: my biggest fantasy is I've gained kind of a ton of weight and I feel really hot about it like I feel like I feel like voluptuous and I want the filthiest orgy where I want like blood and like spit and like just I want it to be disgusting like I want a disgusting orgy where everybody worships my giant fat body. Like that is <laughs> my...
0: uh, going to an actual sex party. Like I want to go out and experience all these things you guys are talking about and be in these situations and learn if I like them or I don't, but actually go. So to end off the episode, we're maintaining the tradition at intellectual erection of ending off on a light note. So we asked our panel of sex positive humans to give us their sexiest, most outrageous, most fun story from COVID times.
4: I would say my sexiest moment during COVID is I masturbated in front of the mirror for the first time, just legs spread and,
2: my God, and lit candles for myself, played some sexy music. My uh, girlfriend introduced me to her penis for the first time. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I have to say, she's my first uh, girlfriend with a penis who wanted to share that with me. And it was also very magical, very powerful, really connecting experience for her and I. And so
4: they're like on top of me and we're hearing the porn in the background with the other partners. Like we go into the other room and my partner starts fisting the other partners, but And then I want to get fisted. So then they're fisting me. We're just all getting fisted. There's squirt everywhere. There's juices everywhere. Oh, it was a grand old time. And we had like such a good release.
8: The initial lockdown had lifted and and we were allowed to do groups of like 10 people and everybody was very careful about testing and-
2: all our tests.
8: We got all our tests. Um, It was a birthday party for, for, um, for a friend, and we went into the party not be, being a little unsure, right? It, it's times are weird. We're not really sure. Are we going to want to play? Or
6: It's also very heavily couples-based, which tends to freak me out.
8: Then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm talking to somebody over by the food table, and I come back into the into the living room area, and there's Ginger sitting in a chair, uh, looking amazing. And all of a sudden, this woman just crawls across the floor in between her legs, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is." Absolutely hot, and I also realize this is one of the things I'm totally missing: is, is watching the people I care about being like totally turned on and doing things with other people, and, and just appreciating that and, and getting that kind of energy. And that that is hotter than anything that's happened to to me through throughout this whole experience. Was just taking the pleasure from seeing my partner getting such incredible pleasure.
1: My boyfriend, who's now my fiance loves to hang out in the room where I'm doing my meetings. And so I was on a national call with, you know, I don't know, 30 different clergy from all different faiths. And he decided that it was a, a really good time to not only masturbate, but then eat me while I'm on the call, while I'm on this Zoom call with all of these ministers. and clergy. Oh my God. <laughs> Fan-fucking-tastic. So
0: wait a minute. I, I've been meaning to ask, is the REV in front of your name for reverend? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, there we go. We have we have a oh. member of the clergy here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was oh, holy moly. I'm yeah. And I'm a licensed interfaith minister. So I do. I do. I work with clergy across the country in the United States.
0: Well, I, I think you've just given everybody else fodder for their next Yeah, um, everyone fantasy. else. Thank
3: you so much for joining us. You can uh, end the call now. You're listening to Intellectual Erection.
0: A place where we talk about the naughty. <laughs>
3: fuck you what the fuck why are you trying to outdo me what's wrong with you i don't want to be on this podcast with you anymore oh my god to stimulate
6: your thinking